As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined as always by Paul Tenorio, and we are coming to you on our regularly scheduled time slot, recording on a Thursday. We're not recording at two in the morning after a U.S. Men's National Team World Cup qualifier. We're back in kind of MLS, American soccer, U.S. MNT, like mashup land, the space that we usually kind of occupy on this show. Uh, And Paul we got one of our like little Christmas gifts in our little weird, bizarre world that we live in. Earlier this week, when the MLS Players Association released the updated list of players' salaries for the 2021 season, uh, they, of course, released a list earlier this year. April 15th, I believe, was, was the release date. Um, so that was right before the season began. Um, there have been a significant number of new signings and new contracts to current players holdover players since then um so a lot of new information um both in terms of how much teams are spending and how much players are making and all of that stuff so we're going to dive in on that today and we're going to take a few we're going to answer a few listener questions as well that we solicited on twitter from that topic so yeah that's that's what's on tap um paul i don't know did did you dive into these numbers you're sort of you're sort of working you're sort of not working so, you know, I don't know how, how much time you spent in, the, in that spreadsheet, but, you know, yeah, we're going to put you know. on the spot. I guess we're going to find out on this show. I don't know if I should go public with the fact that I'm on like a quasi paternity leave considering the, the recent uh, paternity leave controversy. Um, was there a controversy? Yeah, there were some politicians that were saying that paternity leave is, is uh, for a certain subset of weak men um, oh. to use, essentially. Um, yeah. You know, I, but, I certainly, well, I certainly I mean, if don't. If the shoe uh, fits, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, uh, I wouldn't, <laughs> kidding, uh, I kidding. wouldn't trade in uh, any of the time I've had to spend with my two kids for, uh, you know, for example, um, writing this salary story with you. As much as I love writing these salary stories, the world has gone on wow. with it not being a joint byline. Sam, you're you're more than capable of doing this story yourself, um, and <laughs> so capable are you of doing the story that yeah, I dove into it through reading your story, your breakdown, oh, your analysis. All right. Okay. Um, you see, I made it work there, Sam. Yeah. Um, way to bring it around. 
Yeah, I mean, I took a look at it and, you know, again, not a, a massive amount of updates necessarily. It's not as big as the initial drop when we learn a ton about the teams. But I think we have a much better picture of, of um, where the spending has happened now this year. Um, the teams who have spent a ton and are underperforming, the teams who have yeah. spent very little and are performing well, um, you know, the players who are paid too much or... Um, in some cases, maybe too little. I don't think there are very many of those cases in Major League Soccer. There um, used to be a lot of those. Yeah, there's by the not way. so many. Not so yeah. many now. And, and and you know, I don't know. Maybe we can dive in there, Sam, because I think you you before we started the show proposed kind of an interesting thought, you know, exercise on on that. That's kind of like every time I pull up these numbers, the, those are the things I'm looking for: is which teams spent too much money, or you know, spent the most money, and which teams, um, which players are making too much money or making too little. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's like MLS is getting better at not paying guys too little. Yeah, I mean, the you, you, we've seen the wages at the bottom go up significantly. Um, in recent years, for sure. Uh, part of that is CBA related. Part of it is just kind of market related, particularly with a lot of these homegrown products. Um, you know, you have to pay them to not go to college essentially, or pay them to stop them from signing a European contract when they turn eighteen, and all of those different things. So yeah, I, I don't. I would have to go through one by one to get a really accurate feel for like what percentage of players are like appropriately compensated or if you eliminated professional soccer from the United States and Canada entirely and you took every player in MLS and said, okay, go sign with a team elsewhere in the world. Are you going to be within 5% of the salary that you're making currently in this league? Um, like what number is that? I don't know. I would I would say probably pretty low, Paul. Yeah, like, you and I both landed on the same number. Let's be honest. We, we before we recorded, we both said ten percent, without knowing that the other one said that. So, you know why? Because we know that the DPS here, you kind of have to overspend on DPS to get them to come to Major League Soccer. That's just the reality of the market, the reality of a growing league trying to convince players in their prime to come here, gotta, trying to convince pay a premium big yeah. players to come here. You play, you pay a premium. So most of those guys that come to this league are overpaid. Um, and, and that trickles down, by the way. That That's the same for TAM players. If you're convincing a player who's playing in, say, a big five league in Europe, who's 27 years old in the heart of his prime, hey, come to MLS, you're going to have to pay him more than he would otherwise make in Europe, like 100%. It also sometimes is a consideration of bad negotiating. I think there are some GMs, I shouldn't say some, I spoke to one person who felt like MLS teams don't do a good enough job of negotiating. They don't take fully into consideration what the players are making in their home countries or in their previous contracts. And they start too high on that negotiation. They, they, they factor in that premium to too high of a degree in order to kind of shorten the negotiation and get the player in. And they don't think about the consequences of that negotiation, especially in terms of resale value and obviously the impact on the, the greater market in general. Um, but, you know, again, so I think the top, the very, very top of the league, the, the, the the top like 20, 30 players, you have a chart here. I would say probably 20, the top 20 of those players are probably making significantly more than most of them. You know, like Nani at 2.5 million, would he probably Maybe be making that in Europe? I could see him making that. But, you know, others, no. Frank O'Hara, $3 million, where is he going to get that? You know, so the, there's, there's a give and take here. But I would say the top part, I think the bottom portion especially when you look at homegrown players, we hear this all the time, Sam. I think I can speak for both of us that young homegrown players are making way more money on their first contracts than they would make almost anywhere in the world. That, you know, unless you're signing a reserve deal 
with a Bundesliga or Premier League team and not a not a youth deal, a reserve deal, the money that's being offered in MLS is pretty darn good for these players, especially when you compare it to South America, when you compare it to Central America, when you compare it to the lower divisions in Europe, you know, guys making six figures on their first homegrown deal, you know, that's unheard of. That's pretty unheard of. It's pretty significant money. Um so you you know, when you take that, and then I think we have to acknowledge that there's a whole chunk of American players who have far more value in this league than they would have elsewhere and far more options in this league than they would have elsewhere. So if you eliminated the league, that's why the percentage gets so big because the very best MLS players domestically are probably not going to the best leagues in Europe, all of them. And so immediately you get hit with going to countries like Austria or Denmark or Norway where the median salary is significantly lower. And and so that's why, that's why you and I landed on such a low number of people that would fall within five percent yeah um it's an interesting question though asked by not not by us but by a a media member who shall remain anonymous for his own protection (laughs) um you're free (laughs) you all are free to guess who it may have been uh but we'll never tell uh yeah so it's an interesting question winding it back a little bit let's just kind of highlight some of the actual numbers that have been updated um we have a new entry into the top five highest played players in the league luis araujo i butchered that araujo oh it's not araujo i don't know man i'm just gonna let you sad boy i'm just gonna stay over here and just let you bad i'm sorry that was terrible joe edit this out don't do it don't don't edit it out just you know we got to embrace it sam anyway what's great is that new guy that atlanta signed who's from brazil from from sam stay school <laughs> uh Luis Rajo, that's what I'm gonna call him, even though that's incorrect. Uh he is the fifth highest paid player in MLS. Uh he's got a guaranteed compensation of three point nine four million for twenty twenty one, annualized for twenty twenty one, which not only is fifth highest in MLS, but is highest on Atlanta United. Just five thousand dollars ahead of Joseph Martinez, who ranks sixth in the league. Kind of interesting that you know, he would be $5,000 ahead of Joseph Martinez. <laughs> yeah. Kind of makes you like raise an eyebrow. <laughs> Almost to make sure he wanted to be, you know, you're you're fulfilling a promise that you'd be the highest paid player on the team. And and of course, these numbers don't include bonuses for goals scored and things like that. Per, sure. You know, matches, which I'm sure Joseph Martinez has baked into his deal considering his prowess of scoring in MLS. I also want to note that um, he's actually not the fifth highest paid player in MLS. He's the sixth highest ah, paid player in MLS true. because Blaze Matuidi <laughs> is listed as making exactly $1.5 million, you know, on the head. We know that that's not correct. We know that he's making north of $5 million a year, um, based on what Jorge Mas told me in an interview. So he is actually the yeah. fourth highest paid player in MLS, Matuidi, um, which knocks everyone down one peg from, from what we, yes. uh, we see in these numbers. Otherwise, the top 10 remains the same. Carlos Vela at, at the top, Javier Hernandez, Chicharito, Gonzalo Higuain, then Matuidi, technically, Alejandro Pozuelo, uh, Luis Arajo, Joseph Martinez, Josie Altidore, Rodolfo Pizarro, Maxi Morales, Victor Wanyama. Paul, that's not a very impressive list of names. All of those, I mean, there are some big names in there, certainly, but in terms of production, not good value. And then you get to the next guy on the list, Carlos Heel, likely MVP. That's the first real name on this list that's like, okay, that guy's really, really producing in a big way this year. Um, I guess Maxi Morales has had some some good play as well. So I don't mean to besmirch yeah. everybody on that list, but it's been a rough year for the production for the highest paid players in MLS. You know, we were on a staff call earlier today, and I didn't pipe up in this moment because um, 
Ben, my son was in my arms crying and I couldn't, I couldn't unmute myself. But, um, you know, there was a discussion about the kind of lack of star power in the, in the production this year, I think overall yeah. in general in major league soccer. And I think that's pretty accurate. You know, the, the, the spending at the very top has been significant, but without a ton of production, um, comparative comparatively to what we've seen in past years. I think that happens in part because you have um, older players who are kind of being reintroduced to these highest spending lists, specifically mm-hmm. with what Miami did. Um, yeah. And then, you know, also injuries I, I want to give credit. Injuries. Well, yeah, and injuries as well, of course, have played a role when right. you look Vela at Vela, a lot of time. Josie Altador, Joseph um, Martinez. Joseph Chicharito Martinez. has Chicharito's been... Missed time. Chicharito's been good, but he hasn't played a ton. Yeah. Um, so... You know, you factor those in, but I think there is a valid point here in that right now, when you look at DP spending, it's almost as if the vast majority of the attention on spending has turned towards different areas, right? Finding efficiency in TAM, finding efficiency in the U22 market, and there hasn't been as much attention paid to those highest pay. Sorry, that more teams are spending in that area of, you know, somewhere around. 12 or so on this list and down 3 million and less. You know, you look at some of the names that are down there, Nico Ladero, Sebastian Drusi, Adrian Hunau, um, Gaston Jimenez, guys who have come in in the last two years who are all right around those numbers. There are some older players here as well that are, have been around that number. But, but I think that that factors in here when you look at where that big money is being spent, it's still kind of on the teams outside of Arujo. I don't know. I'll try. I'll try my best there, Sam. It's better than um, me. Outside of him as a new signing, you know, most of these guys that are up here are kind of guys who have been around a couple of years or older players. And and you know, Pozuelo was very productive last year. Obviously, um, yeah. Not so much this year. Um, but I I think we're maybe starting to see a trend where we're we're part way through of of decreased spending on salary on the top DPs. And that, you know, I think we could see a change here in the top six or seven next year in that, you know, Vela might be gone. Chicharito will be here. Iguain certainly seems like they're praying that he's going to retire in Miami <laughs> based on the yeah. interview I read the other day with um, in the Sun. Uh, you know, Joseph Martinez is not going anywhere. Josie Altador, he could be out as a DP. Pizarro could be out as a DP. Um, I just wonder if we start to see kind of a switch in in where those numbers land salary wise. Uh, I don't agree with like almost anything you said there. Good. <laughs> I'm I'm not really sure what point you were trying to make. Maybe you're a little sleep deprived here, but I I think that spending, I mean on on average on these DPS, they're probably way. This is just a hunch. I haven't gone and done the math. I would imagine there are way more players making more than two million now than ever before in MLS. Yes, I'm way not, more. I'm, all I'm saying is that I think we're going to see fewer players above three million than we've seen in the past. I mean, I think we're. I, I think that I would say the same thing about three million dollar players as well. Like right now, we have eleven players, twelve when you count Matuidi, making more than three million a year in guaranteed compensation. And Frank O'Hara is at two point nine seven seven, so you're you almost add one more on there. I, I would be very surprised if there was ever a time in MLS history where that number was higher, and I don't think that's going to change. I, I think it'll probably be pretty linear growth in the future. You're right that maybe at the top, like all right, like the top top, right? 
Carlos Vela, highest paid, $6.3 million a year, right? I don't remember exactly what, like, Javinko was on or Robbie Keane, but I imagine it was in that neighborhood, right? So the highest paid, that ceiling seems relatively defined, right? Zlatan was, what, 7.5? 7.2. So was Kaká. Yeah. So, like, we haven't really gone above that, right? Um, and I don't think necessarily we will anytime here in the near future. But I think we'll continue to see guys signed for above $3 million. I don't know. I, I, I'm not saying we're not going to see guys signed for above $3 million. I think the profile of you those did, players... You did kind of just I think we're going to see though. fewer guys signed <laughs> at those big money numbers. I think unless unless MLS teams alter... I think there's going to be a fear factor here of signing guys like Iguain and even Vela, who was brilliant and an MVP, but has played like 25 games over two years... Mm-hmm. To give and Chicharito, who was terrible last year and has been okay this year, that yeah. there's going to be a little bit more of a fear and a hesitation from owners to go spend significant money on older stars. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think, but I, and I think but that's a, when you look at the money that's Araujo, been God, Luis, he's 25. He's making four million. Right. Why not think, more of that? Again, I think when you look at anyone who's made five million. Plus, I think the exception would be Jovinko, and I don't think he was on that on his first contract, but he might have been. He might have been the one big exception. Those huge numbers have been guys of the Vela profile, of Ibrahimovic, of Kaká, known names on more toward the back end of their career. I don't I don't want to group Vela in necessarily with Kaká. That's not really fair. He was certainly younger than... Uh, Kaká was 32 when he signed in MLS? I think Vela was in his 20s when he signed in yeah, MLS. Yeah, so... Sure. I just think that the profile will change at the bare minimum. Like if we're going to see players signed at 4 million plus 5 million plus, it's going to be, I think the focus is going to be on trying to find the next Jovinkos, like the in the prime stars. And I, with one exception, Inner Miami. I don't think David Beckham changes his model at all. I think he'll continue to <laughs> but chase. Paul, this is, Miami. this is what it is now. Not really. Right. Like I think LAFC I mean, doesn't much. go with the I don't know, man. I mean, maybe. Maybe I'm just crazy. I just feel like I think you're gonna look I think you're gonna see a lot more focus from more MLS teams on finding guys that fit in that two to three million dollar range. And we're seeing that right now. Like you scroll down this list and the number of two million dollar players is essentially the top thirty players are all right around two million. That's definitely gotta be way more than it used to be. You know, mm-hmm. and I think especially when you start to, you know, I think you're going to start to see more MLS teams who are lower budget shooting to have DPs in that range and and fewer guys who are like low money, quote unquote, DPs. I just think that I, I don't know. I, I think that we're going to see less salary spend at the very top and more transfer money spend overall. Like, I think there's going to be a slight shift there. OK, that I, that I can get behind. I just think we're already kind of there. I think it's already happened and it'll kind of continue to happen and i think there's always going to be a few older bigger name guys making a ton of money in this league and i think that isn't going to change anytime soon and i think that's fine and i think most of the teams as they are now are going to be looking for those guys in their primes who might not be making quite as much money but are still making a ton of money um i think that's been the model for a while and i think it will continue to be so um moving on a little bit other newcomers to crack the top 30 in salary uh beyond Beyond the Atlanta signing. <laughs> I can't even say it. I'm afraid of his name. <laughs> um, Sebastian Drusi, 
from Austin FC. He's making 2.7, roughly. He's 15th or 16th, depending on how you count Matuidi. Adrian Hunu, um, who knew? Making 2.58 million. Uh, he has not delivered on that salary just yet. Uh, the striker from Minnesota United. Ryan Gauld, Vancouver's long sought after number 10, who has been very good for the White Caps since he arrived earlier this summer. He's just north of 2 million. Uh, and Jefferson Soteldo, uh, Toronto FC. He was signed, I think, right after the, the list came out in the spring. He's been here basically all year. He is just south of 2 million. Uh, been up and down for him as well uh, in a difficult, difficult year for Toronto FC. Um, other news in terms of players, and I think we'll stick with players here, and then we can shift to teams in the next segment, Paul. I don't know if that sounds good. Ake Loba, Nashville, another notable one, 1.3 million. Another one that is not, you know, still early days, but he has not hit returns on that at all so far. Uh, Talis Magno, New York City FC, he's about 1.2 million. Again, hasn't really produced this far in MLS. And then a couple of guys who have been in the league for years and got new contracts. Uh, Eduard Atuesta got a massive bump all the way up to $1.3 million for LAFC. Uh, he signed an extension in May. Tim Parker signed an extension in the summer. Center back for the Houston Dynamo. He bumped from about, I think, eight fifty to $1.2 million. Um, this is a wild note. The Houston Dynamo signed three of the four highest-paid center backs in the league to their deals. Number one, Aljaz Kiki Struna, Tim Parker, number two. Jonathan Mensah, the lone non-Dynamo signee in this equation, uh, is number three, highest-paid center back. And number four is Teenage Hedebe, uh, formerly of Chicken Inn FC, uh, the designated player signing that they had earlier this summer. Um, that's wild. I mean, I've been talking here for a while, Paul, but... I, I could spend a few minutes on that by itself. If you're signing a center back for that much money, which isn't necessarily a thing you should be doing, by the way, especially if you're not paying other people more money than that, um, which is pretty much the case for Houston. Uh, they need to be defender of the year caliber players, and that is not what those three are. So, Yeah, not the, most efficient, continue. not the most efficient spend, we could say, for the Dynamo. Yeah, not the greatest. But uh, so those are some of the the notable players. Tati Castellanos also got a big raise. Uh, Ricardo Pepe got a significant raise, but he's still under three hundred thousand, if I'm remembering correctly. Julian Arajo, pronounced that one correctly. Same spelling, different pronunciation. Uh, and Efra Alvarez, two two young players for the LA Galaxy. They also got big raises and are young money players now. Um, so a couple of interesting notes there. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. We'll be back with some team talk in the next segment. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. We are dissecting the MLS salary release 
the MLS salary dump that the Players Union put out earlier this week. We just talked about players and which are making the most money in MLS. Now it's time to talk about teams, which frankly, I think is a little bit more interesting, personally, Paul. Um, LA Galaxy, they were number three when the spring numbers came out. They are now number one. Atlanta United, number two in, in overall payroll. Toronto FC, number three. Miami, number four. LAFC, number five. NYCFC, six. Columbus, number seven. Although, with that caveat that if you count Blaze Matweedy properly, Miami would be first in this race. <laughs> um, Paul, I have a question for you. Do you know what five of those top seven teams have in common? They are not in the playoffs. That is correct. Um, Pretty massive uh, disappointment, I think it's fair to say. And, And to be fair, this doesn't account for all spend, right? This doesn't account for transfer fees. It doesn't account for acquisition costs. That's a significant chunk of change. But these top seven teams, with possibly the exception of Columbus, all of them spend significantly on transfer fees. Um, so they're probably the top of the table, even when you include acquisition costs. And pretty much all of them have been disappointments this year, even including those above above the playoff line. I guess the Galaxy, you know, they're bouncing back after a couple of hard years, but they haven't been great. Atlanta United has been very up and down, although they're doing pretty well at the moment. Um, but neither of those teams are sure things to even make the playoffs. So it's it's pretty remarkable how poorly the t- the teams at the top of the payroll list are playing. Um, it's a wild, wild thing, and it's not something that we see really in any any other leagues around the world. This is just an MLS thing. And, you know, if we go down further on the table, Colorado having an excellent year. Third in the West, they have the, they have the smallest payroll in MLS. New England Revolution might set the all-time points record in the league. 20th payroll in the league. Right, so it's just kind of a wild thing. What do you, what do you make of this, Paul? The fact that wages don't seem to correlate to results whatsoever in MLS. Yeah, Sam. I think basically this is just highlighting the issues that MLS has with its pay structure. Right, um, you know, wage bills around the world show a um, a, a collective balance. Like the, the big difference between MLS and Liga MX is that the amount of money being spent is spread over a larger portion of the roster and. What we know in Major League Soccer is that a huge percentage of spend is on the top three players on a roster. So if you get one or two of those players wrong, or if one or two of those players get injured, chances are your team is going to struggle. Because not only are those your best players, but your team has pretty much been structured around those players. So when you look at Miami and Blaise Matuidi and Higuain and Pizarro struggling, that's how much does that make up of their entire total spend? Like an enormous percentage. Yeah. You know, same. I mean, like probably at least 50. At least, you know, at least same with Toronto FC. You know, if you're not getting the production out of your DPs and we can, we can show definitely that they're not this year. One of them injured. Pozuelo has been injured. Soteldo struggled. You know, the results are going to be poor in part because, well, I think Toronto is a little bit different in that they might have a, 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 they might be due for a kind of a a makeover, but you know, the team is structured around those DPs. And so LAFC is another example of that. Bella is kind of built, they built the team around him. And so, you know, that's why I think you can have years like this where when, when things start to go wrong on these teams and those things are going wrong centered on the DPs, it's going to show that the spend is not efficient. And that's not a a spend is not efficient just on an individual basis of each team and each player, but the league wide spend that, you know, 
the the highest spending teams are spending that money on three specific players. And when you look at the teams who are doing well that have kind of balanced rosters, you look at New England, Colorado, Philadelphia, um, those those teams are Seattle. Seattle is a is is maybe the exception. You know, I want to group them differently than Philly, Colorado, New England. Those teams are getting the most out of every single dollar they spend. You know, in the case of Philadelphia, they they were in the past leaning on homegrowns, but it's about efficiency of spend. Everyone's around the same level, and no one is the kind of centerpiece of the team. Same with New England. Same with Colorado. New England's a little a little different bit different in that, that they you know they have two yeah. DPS and one they who paid became, transfer fees. You know, a bigger a bigger player. But so maybe New England fits more with Seattle than I give it credit for. But look, if you look at the rest yeah. of the roster, the way that they built that roster, it wasn't built as we are a team with stars and then and then Plan B. Though, you know, we saw what happened when the one star was injured last year with with New England when their best player was injured. It was yeah, it was I mean, harder. They still they still they were, they were good, but stars. it was you know it was yeah. harder. For, they, they weren't doing what they did this year. Um, Seattle has been incredibly yeah. good, and they're they're sort of the exception, right? Because Nico Ladero and Jordan Morris have missed almost all of this right. year, and they're still first in the West. Yeah, and 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 I just think that again, it's just about like how do you spread that spend out, and can those other players in the roster, if you've if you've hit on those mid level guys, can they make up for the loss of the big stars? That's the that's the ultimately the question in Major League Soccer. And if you haven't built the rest of the roster correctly, it falls apart pretty quickly. And and you can look at Miami as an example of that. You can look at Chicago as an example of that. Toronto as an example of that. If you're missing on your TAM guys and your guys making 400K and you don't have homegrown players um, who are bringing up the back end and way outperforming their salaries, it gets very hard to make up for missing your DPs or not having your DPs on the field. Yep, hundred um, percent. I did a little bit of what I thought was an interesting exercise, and Paul, this has some relevance to you personally here. But wages spent per point earned in twenty twenty one. The Revs, no surprise, they have way more points than anybody else in the league. They're spending the fewest, roughly one hundred and seventy seven thousand dollars per point spent or per point earned. Uh, Colorado closely behind, um, then Philly, then Seattle, and then Paul. Your New York Red Bulls, the team you picked to finish second in the Eastern Conference. If you go by this, they are second or third, excuse me, in the Eastern Conference in, in dollars spent per point at, at right around 250K per point. Um, so there you go. A little bit of uh, saving grace sure. for you. I mean, the math will get a little different for New England, to your point, Seattle, New York, when you add in transfer fees paid for, for the roster as constructed. Um, though I would say Seattle yeah. probably not so if you if you amortize the the spend over the number of years, Rui Diaz has been there for a which long I think time. you would ha- you would have to yeah so yeah you um, have but to do that. but certainly New England's math would be different you know I think Colorado and Philly would jump ahead of New England you know w- w- once you factor in yeah no fees. doubt um, so credit credit to those two well those teams don't. They don't, yeah, they don't pay transfer fees, fees essentially. Oh. <laughs> Colorado, especially. <laughs> yeah. So it's not a thing that happens out there. Right. So, but yeah, I mean, I, again, I think it's just hard. I think it's just hard in MLS to spend efficiently. The system itself is designed to not do that. Sam, you were the person for a long yeah. time pounding the desk on the inefficiency of TAM that, you know, it was literally a system built to be inefficient. Um, and the, the dead, dead zone. zone that we created. Now that started to change as, as with the new CBA, they're going to start winding down Tam and winding up Gam 
to try to fix that inefficiency, and we've immediately seen players now getting paid between four hundred and five hundred. <laughs> Got to be careful when you wind up that game, right? So, yeah. um, but it's just the league itself. All these pots create natural inefficiencies, and you know, I, I think, I don't know. I'm biased. I think in kind of what I've talked about a lot on the show and in conversations with people around the league, Sam, certainly with you, but I think being able to maximize MLS talent, finding guys in this league who are undervalued that you don't have to pay transfer fees for, um, or you're paying a significantly lower cost in the trade market than you would internationally. Um, and valuing those players correctly when you're building your roster gives you a huge chance to be closer to Colorado and Philadelphia and Montreal this year versus Montreal in past years than it does to being the teams who rely too heavily on international signings and thus, you know, are gambling far more because you don't know what you're going to get. And, and that's where I think the that's where I think Bruce arena has been so, so good. He's, he's always been incredible yeah. back at the galaxy. And now with new England at finding players like in new England this year, Matt Polster and Tommy McNamara, that profile that you Mike McGee in Mike the past, McGee in the past yeah. Juninho, who wasn't an MLS guy, but you know, what, then he was all of a sudden. Right. And he kind of fit in a little box and he, he was like, you are good at this one thing. And I'm going to put you in there and tell you to do just this one thing. And that's going to be good enough for this team. And like, that's what he does really well. And I think that's where a lot of the other MLS teams struggle is that they, they don't see those players, the Mike McGee's, the the Matt Polsters as having value compared to what what maybe this guy could be right Matt Polster's ceiling is here and this guy could have a ceiling way higher and it's slightly more expensive but not crazy more expensive so we're gonna go with that guy and then you know you never right. find that ceiling um, and Matt Polster gives you exactly what you know he is like that to me is like a prime example of of good MLS roster building versus like bad MLS roster building. And to be fair, there aren't a ton of those guys, you know, Th- those guys are, are hard to find. They're not growing on trees, right? And some teams do value them. Even the teams that don't have a lot of them, they're hard to get, Sure, right? But so, I think we've so seen teams... Just to be fair, they're... But I, they're hard to get, but they're also, they are gettable. Like, we're seeing that. There are guys are. who are no longer a fit in one team that become a really good fit in another team. And sometimes they're lower-priced players. Like, you look at Colorado as an example of guys who have found deals... Versus higher price, right? Sometimes you have to go pay for Mark Anthony K. Yeah, George right? Mihalovic. George Mihalovic in Montreal. Good example. Like sometimes you're paying a million bucks, but you're saying, okay, what would it cost me to get George Mihalovic from Serbia versus the George Mihalovic from from Chicago? Well, probably a lot more than a million dollars in GAM, you know? And yeah, and by by the way, Paul, that's that's a deal that probably both of us need to like eat a little crow on because we were we were saying that was a great I, deal. I've thought for the about that at the time and how could you pay Georgie Mihalovic that much that much money? Um, so you know that's credit to Montreal for pulling that yeah. one off. He's I, been I've, really thought, good this I've year. thought about that. I actually I don't know why I was thinking about this last night before I went to bed, but for some reason I was thinking about Georgie Mihalovic. I, I think it's because I saw the tweet with <laughs> because because I, you're demented. I, I saw a tweet you're demented. From Nacho that's Piatti why. Congratulating Georgie Mihalovic. That's why. And. I, I still think the fire did the right thing. It was very clear that that relationship was not working. Yeah, out. I agree. He needed a change to sometimes reach that things level, run their course. And they got yeah. the best compensation that they could get from him, you know, and sent him to Montreal. But we we thought we thought Montreal overpaid. Yeah. We're not so much for criticizing sure. the well, fire all in, for, for well, all in for sure. Deal. I thought with the million dollars yeah. and the seven hundred thousand dollars salary 
that you know he wanted to make what did he i didn't even look at what he ended up on on his new deal um yeah 651,000 yeah. um i'm sure that'll increase over the course the base salary is 600 to start so yeah i mean credit to them to say we'll pay that and we think it's worth it you know and you know same with mark anthony k in colorado I and mean, there are numerous examples but like i you know right now i'm kind of doing that exercise myself of looking around the league and I actually know a GM who keeps a, a whiteboard, a rotating whiteboard of players whose minutes are decreasing or who has seemingly, who are seemingly like out of favor or are coming towards the end of a contract and, it, and is circling those players saying, okay, I'm going to have a conversation to see, are they tradable? You know, what's the cost? Are they going to be free agents soon? I'm kind of going through the same thought process. And I think, you know, I think there are certain teams who make that in their entire offseason thought process. Um, and I, I, it's starting to pay off more than it did in the past and probably because the player pool has gotten better over the last few years. And so some of these players who are getting rotated out, Sam, I know you have a hard disagree with that notion, but I think some of these players who start to get kind of naturally rotated out of one team are good fits for another. Um, Diego Rubio, a good example, who was like a really good fit in Colorado. He was kind of getting rotated out in Kansas City. You know, I think you can find those deals because you're not paying anything for the, a lot of these players, you know and 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 make up for a lack of budget elsewhere um one thing really stood out to me when i was looking at this number these numbers and this is a piece that i'm hoping to collaborate with some folks on and turn for for next week but just kind of to get at the idea of efficiency of spend and how much bang for the buck are mls teams getting relative to teams in other leagues right and my hypothesis is that mls teams are spending enough money both on wages and transfer fees that the quality of play should be higher than it is um, and I'm hoping to be able to prove that with some data <laughs> next week. We'll see. I've got something in the works. I don't know if it's going to come to fruition exactly or not. Um, but I'm curious to dive deeper into that. And that's the thing that really stuck out to me is that MLS teams are spending money. And, you know, Paul, you and I advocate on this show quite a bit to, for MLS teams to spend more, right? And if you want to be a league of choice, you have to. Um, and I think that's true. But I also think there is another truth in this league. And that, and that other truth is that the money that is being spent can be spent better, you know, and, and for how much money is being spent, things should be better. And I think the reason that they're not is, is partly for reasons that we've touched on already. I think part of it is some negotiation. Part of it is maybe some bad scouting. Part of it is not every transfer is going to hit. Um, but I think a lot of it is just the, the structure of the league itself. And all of the different buckets, in particular the DP rule. And I think the DP rule is really, like, I think it's run its course, man. Like, I think it's kind of ridiculous. And, and I'm curious to to dive in more on that in particular. And just kind of how, how much teams are getting in terms of production for their designated players. For how much they're spending. Because we talked about it. That top 10 list of highest paid players. It's not delivering hardly anything for their respective teams this year. And that's a huge portion of the money that's being spent by these clubs and it's just like not i mean i don't know it's not gonna change i don't think it's ever really yeah, gonna, change, gonna change but but i wish it did um i think there you know we've done this before we've done the exercise of how we would design it if we could start from scratch uh and yeah i don't think we're gonna get there but um <laughs> it'd be cool it'd be cooler if we did <laughs> anyway you have anything to add to that or should we take a break and then go to some questions? I don't know afterwards. if that was like a shout out to your Matthew McConaughey interview or not. It'd be cooler if you did, man. It was. Um, <laughs> it was. Not, not gonna, not Thanks gonna for change. picking up on that. You're welcome. Not going to change anytime soon, <laughs> but we appreciate it, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you. 
Stay with us. <laughs> Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. 
And we are back, Allocation Disorder, talking about the latest MLS salary dump. We're going to get to some listener questions on this subject, and we're going to start with Steve Fenn, who I meant to mention earlier in the show. He put out something really cool on Twitter the other day when these numbers came out. Um, It's a bizarre chart that I'm not really smart enough to read, but the title is MLS is not an oligarchy. There's little relationship between wages and results. So that conversation we had last segment about how the top wage teams, wage spenders in the league are not doing so well. That's something that historically has been the case in MLS. Um, and so you should go check out this tweet. Um, maybe I'll retweet it and, and you can kind of see it there. Um, but basically what it says is high wages, good results every season for every team dating all the way back to 2007. It's a pretty even distribution between high wages and good results, high wages and average results, and high wages and bad results. It's 36 with good results, 27 seasons with okay results, and 27 with bad results. Uh, similar story on the other end of the spectrum with low wages and, and, and the corresponding results. So go check out that graph. It's, it's interesting. Um, so, so take a peek at it. Um, Steve's question. What effect would buying out a player have on a club's salary cap and other roster mechanisms? For example, if FC Dallas bought out Frank O'Hara this winter, would they stretch out the remaining cap hit across some number of years, erase it entirely, or only free up DP in international spots? Paul, this one's pretty straightforward. Sure, it's a pretty, yeah, like you said, it's pretty straightforward. A buyout is a buyout. So it is essentially cap relief. Um you you've bought out that and when it happens in the offseason it doesn't count against the cap correct when the off one offseason buyout happens you have you are paying the player their full amount due and it does not count on your cap um, you only get to use that once um, but that's how it works and you do get up the D, you do free up the dp and international spots so um, a good example would be what happened in miami um, what happened in la with G, with giovanni dos santos you 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 pay the player the the money that's due, or you negotiate some certain buyout with said player if you think you have leverage to do so, um, and then that player no longer counts on your cap. It's it's not an issue of of having to spread out the spend over the the life of the remaining deal. It's just you've paid off. But of course, if you have future years of that contract, you're not just buying out one year of the deal. You have to negotiate how much you're buying out that player, however many years may be left on the contract. Basically, it's a get-out-of-jail-free card from the cap perspective. And I shouldn't say get-out-of-jail-free. It's a get-out-of-jail-for-millions-of-dollars card. Um, but basically, if they bought out Hara, it wouldn't affect – he would no longer be on their budget. And that, that space would be freed up. Moving on, next question from MFT on Twitter. Given the pretty minor spread in overall budgets, and just to add to MFT here – Basically, he's saying that most teams in MLS are within a few millions million dollars of each other in, in payroll. So given the pretty minor spread in, spread in overall budgets, differentiations between clubs are clearly around coaching, staffs, and academies. Any data on coaching or staff budgets around the league? No specific data there, um, but we can kind of give our educated guesses and reported kind of handiwork on that front. Um, it's basically what you would expect. The, the highest spending teams also spend the most on, on that stuff too, <laughs> for the most part. Um, With some exceptions, Miami, Miami was a good exception there for a while though. They, they've built out. It's one thing to have like Miami had multiple people in their front office, but a lot of these teams that are spending a significant amount of money also have huge international scouting budgets or much bigger where they have multiple people based around the world who are scouting people in person. I think that makes a huge difference when it comes to international signings. Yeah, um, it does. Same with Academy. LAFC is one of yeah. those. 
Yeah. Toronto. Uh, so LAFC, the, Toronto, they spend a lot in these areas. Atlanta spends a lot in these areas. NYCFC, through their affiliation with City Football Group, has a huge advantage in this stuff. Um, Red Bull, actually, is, is maybe an exception in terms of a team that doesn't spend much on salaries but does spend in the other areas or is able to tap into the other areas through its kind of parent company. No, but if we go further down, you could say on academy spending, Philadelphia and Dallas far outpace many other MLS teams for in sure. their academy spend, which is, you know, that's what their model is based around. Um, and so when it comes to residential academies or number of academy scouts, um, having a head of academy scouting, things like that that don't exist other places, um, you know, there are MLS teams who allocate their spend in that way versus allocating it towards international scouting. So, you know, there is a mix there. And but yeah, I would agree with what you're saying that typically the highest spending teams overall are spending the most on their backroom staff and on their scouting budgets um, and occasionally on the academy. I'm not like, for example, I don't think the LA Galaxy are outspending many teams on their academy comparatively to how they're outspending mm. them on their first team roster. Like they they've traditionally allocated many more, much more resources towards the first team than the academy. And we've seen that play out over how many players they've brought in. Now that started to change in the last two or three or four years. Um, there was like that slight little yeah. blip with Anolfo where they tried to bring a bunch of Academy players into the first team that lasted like 12 games or however long Anolfo got yeah. before he got fired. Um, yeah. Like literally, literally, but like outside of games. that, you know, so there's, there's all these different strategies we can look at, but I, I think again, we'll hold up the model franchises, you know, even though Toronto's had a bad year, Toronto and Seattle have been kind of the two clubs that have spent the most period in their transfer fees and their players, but also in the back room staff. Like they both, I don't think they that's both true put a ton of resources Seattle. into. Oh, come on, man. I know Seattle likes to play like they don't spend money, but they put resources into their data analytics, into sports science, into scouting. They, s- other they spend on those areas. Zero, zero argument, zero argument there. But when you look at the wages, they're, they're not, I don't think they've been in the top five for a few years, you know? So anyway, not that they're not spending money. They obviously are, but they're not like Again, top, specific top, to backroom spending, specific to scouting and staff, as this question is asking about. I think Seattle and Toronto have had the best operations, the most number of people, the most attention paid and budget given to. And I think, and this is a really important thing, Sam, that I've kind of prevented myself, thankfully, from ranting about on Twitter. But a part of this is also utilizing that knowledge when you have it. So, like, when we talk about, like, yeah. having a scouting department or having domestic knowledge in your in your organization, like, it's easy to be like, well, look at yeah. Ernst Tanner. He's, like, an international signing. Well, like, Ernst Tanner had significant amount of domestic resources around him and valued it and used it. That matters. You know, Lasada is an international coach with the longest tenure general manager in MLS who values and pays attention to the value of domestic players in the league. So using those resources matters. And I think Seattle and Toronto have been the best examples traditionally of not just having an analytics department, but putting a lot of value on it, not just having sports science, but putting a lot of value into it. And we, I interviewed Garth Lagerway. He talked about their DP process taking months and months and months because they want everyone on board before they make a DP signing. That matters. Using the knowledge that you build around you, not just having it there is, is important. Yeah, it uh, sounds simple, but a lot of teams don't do it as well as they should. Um, next question, James Porter. I know y'all, y'all, 
It's not a word I say very often. Would rather have owners be able to spend what they want. But if you had to pick one thing of this, of these two things that he's about to list to help MLS close the gap with League MX, would you A, rather add a fourth designated player, or B, add enough money so that each team could sign two to three more TAM-level players? I know my answer, and it's B, and with a bullet. Yeah, I mean, I think we've made it clear in the first two segments that we're both B people here. Spread out the spend yeah. over more of the roster. We're B boys. Um, this one from Elliot McKinley. Uh, David Akam and Miguel Nazarit are listed as having combined 1.9 million guaranteed compensation. These are both players that are rostered to Nashville and both out on loan. How do players out on loan hit an MLS team's cap, especially big money guys where there's no way that their loan club is paying the full salary? I can't remember this off the top of my head. Can you? This is where some show prep would have helped. <laughs> Whatever the loan team is paying is what gets taken off the budget hit. So if, you know, 400000 of David Akam's salary is being picked up, then $400,000 of David Akam's salary is off of your budget. And the rest is probably paid down with general allocation money. Um, or they've created room in it, and you know, for that cap hit. But yeah, just because you loan them out doesn't mean you get... Um, salary cap full relief the the, yeah. the relief comes from however much actual relief you get in the loan for sure this one from brian costall what's the early read on young money players uh i think it's kind of what we said off the bat right is that these guys this this could be something of a money pit and not all of these guys are going to hit and even you know we're not going to know if they're going to hit for m- for a while, right? So some of the guys that are going to come good haven't come good yet, and we don't know who those guys are. Um, I'm trying to think who the top young U22 signing in the league is so far this year, but not too many of them have really hit the ground running for the most part, Paul. Um, and, and we don't have a list in front of us here, so you know we're going to have a hard time kind of remembering some guys. Um, but yeah, I think it's mostly been maybe a Sosa speculative- and Atlanta. Yeah, he's been up and down, though, and I think it's mostly been a speculative kind of thing, and there haven't been a ton of huge successes, um, but some of them might come good here over the next year, two years, three years, maybe more. Yeah, so and that's what we we'll said. See. This isn't a one-year thing. There's not there's not going to be an early read. It's because these players are all going to progress at different paces. Some might come in and hit the ground running. I think many, many more are going to take a year or two at least to develop, and sometimes longer. Look at Barco as a great example of a player who came in with a ton of hype, um, significant expectations Mm -hmm. at a very young age, and it's taken him four years to start to have a much bigger impact. And even then, you know, people will say it's not enough of an impact considering the spend, but young players take time. Um, and, And that's going to be the big, 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 big question mark around young money. Will they be given that time? And will the fan bases appreciate that, that necessary patience? The actual answer to my question about who, which young money players have have done the best, they're probably the ones that have been grandfathered in that were signed in previous years. Um, You know, like Julian Araujo is a U22 player now. He's he's pretty good. Um, So that's that's probably the answer to that question. A little bit of a cheat code, though. This one from Brendan Price. Does Don Garber have a problem with the New York teams not spending real money? Hmm. Well, first of all, New York City FC is like, they're spending plenty of money. They're just not spending it on players that you've heard of before. So they've changed their model, right? They're not signing Pirlo and Lampard and David Villa, but they are, you know, sixth in payroll right now. 
And they're spending money on transfer fees as well, particularly on those young money guys or even younger DPs. So they're, they're spending money. So we can eliminate them from that question. Uh, the Red Bulls, it's a different story. Uh, they are 26th out of 27 teams in the league in payroll. Um, they're spending a little bit of money on transfer fees, but not that much. They signed Patrick Lamala. What was that, Paul? Like $4 million ish Yeah, $4 million or so. So that's that's not nothing. Um, you know, a lot of teams have never spent that much money on a transfer in their history. So that's, that's relatively significant. Um, but they don't spend much overall on their roster. Does Don Garber have a problem with it? I don't know. I'm not inside his head. Um, I have a bit of a problem with it personally, but that's just me. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. What do you say to Red Bull? You know, they had, they had Thierry Henry and that whole crew for a long time. People weren't coming out to Red Bull arena. Then they went very heavy. I mean, you don't have to spend on Thierry Henry or Rafa Marquez. I'm no, not but, even saying the attendance argument, but like they they could spend mid middle tier, you know, in MLS and actually feel the more competitive team and still have the Red Bull model and still do the same thing that they're doing just with slightly better players across the board. Yeah. I am always an advocate for team spending more. I And I agree that Red Bull, when you look at what's happened at Salzburg, Red Bull, New York could definitely be that. And probably more because they're in New York. They could probably attract better players than Red Bull Salzburg can, though Salzburg not has any, champions. Not anymore. Now, so probably not. Yeah. <laughs> but like Salzburg, when they started the project in Salzburg, yeah. you know? And, and so I think they could absolutely spend more. Certainly, I think Don Garber recognizes that they have a major problem in this league in having the lack of support that they want and desire from the New York market, from the Chicago market. They're not maximizing some of the biggest markets in this country, Houston, Dallas. Um, you know, so they, they, that's a problem that the league knows that they've acknowledged. That it's a massive on. problem yeah, it's a big too. One. So that's it, like, it's, it's a massive problem. I don't know if it's about spending money or if it's about finding ways to connect in those markets, but they certainly know that those markets are, are trouble spots in a big way for MLS. And I would assume that he has a much bigger problem with Red Bull than with City, personally. I think New York City does more to market itself, not that they do a ton. Um, and they have at least the magic bullet on the, I don't want to say on the horizon, but they they have they have some grand possibility out there of a stadium <laughs> at some point, however nebulous it might feel and seem. Um, they can always say, well, if we get a stadium, things will change. Red Bull can't say that. They have a stadium. They can't say that. Um, so I would imagine that he's probably more concerned with that team. Um, last one, and this is from another an user who wishes to remain anonymous, um, who is curious about the trend of the median and average salaries going down from for the league. There was a slight, slight dip in both of those between April and September. We didn't cover that already. Any thoughts on that or just a one-year drop? Yeah, I don't really have. I don't really see that as a trend. Paul, I don't know about you. Um, I, I don't know if it'll go up next year because the salary cap is is flat again, right? So it'll probably be about the same. Um, but I don't think that's that's anything really to be too concerned about for the future. Anything different from your end? No, my guess is it's CBA related. You know, the 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 cap stayed flat, contracts didn't, harder decisions were made in some places. You had to move guys on maybe you wouldn't have because of the increases in salary and that's probably what it's attributable to. And I would expect, to your point, Sam, that remains the same going into next year. So those trends might stay very similar. But, you know, I don't think it's a sign of a bigger trend. Though, if my theory is correct that the higher, higher numbers are going to disappear, those numbers will keep dropping. So we'll see. <laughs> well, maybe. 
I mean, if you have more three million dollars, I don't know. Well, we're I guess if it's math. the median, we're not math yeah, it's people. Not, you know, obviously, I'm not a stats guy. I don't even want to tell you what my stats grade was at Northwestern when they forced me to take stats. Wasn't great, um, but uh, I want to we'll know see. it. I just what think it? I think it's a, I, I think it's attributable to the CBA negotiations what was your grade? and the, the flat salary cap. Uh, and <laughs> tell that, us. my friend, we'll end the episode right there. No way, no dude. Problem. You got to you got to tell us. I don't got to do anything. Tell us. I'm not I letting not you not have to do show. anything. I'm sorry. You're not the one that ends the show. That's not how this works, Paul. Paul's a coward. He's not going to tell us our grade. I will end the show by saying that I enjoyed a pack of Dunkaroos this weekend. They were fantastic, and now I'm seeing them everywhere. Thanks for listening to Allocation Disorder. Go try some Dunkaroos. They're delightful. I'm Sam. He's Paul. We'll be back next week. <laughs>